0: Once Upon a Time Season 5, Episode 7 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, Now I'm joined by a man who I just stopped from drinking out of his uh, plated grail of a water bottle. It's the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? I have
1: chosen poorly
0: <laughs> oh man i was no. waiting minute one of the podcast we got a, a last uh it's not last crusade it, no it's uh, it was last crusade it was last crusade okay yeah. i got my got my my indiana jones canon confused the, the aliens screwed it all up for me but <laughs> equal, uh,
1: yeah, equal parts monty python and indiana jones i think in, in this uh in this episode
0: so i mean this was they knocked it out of the park again in my opinion kurt uh, uh i mean
1: in my, in my opinion, I knocked out of the park. Did I not call that yes. the masked one was Nimway?
0: Yes, Kurt, you are. You are on a hot streak right now. Between you predicting something's up with Guinevere and you saying like the minute we saw this, I think two episodes ago when we the first scene of episode five was Merlin, uh, Merlin getting trapped into becoming a tree, and we saw this person with the gold mask, and you said like, well, it was the person he. Called the masked person the one who killed his first, his only true love, and, and you had correctly predicted that that was that was her indeed. It was Nimue.
1: Yeah, and there was something feminine a little bit about the mask and the figure, and I was like, I think that that was his look. That's why he couldn't do anything and or was shocked. And uh, and I I don't mean to like pull a muscle trying to pat myself on the back, but pat pat pat.
0: No, I think you deserve <laughs> to on a, on a show that. We are very commonly wrong on every single yeah. thing that happens. I think this is a rare moment where we can take a second and really appreciate it. And I mean, you've been two for two for two on these predictions. Let's hope we can go for a third one here, though. I, I, I don't want you to now make any sort of like <laughs> wild, extreme predictions and hoping that it'll, it'll come true. And, and it also and, and the kind of the icing on the cake is that this has been a really
1: enjoyable season so far.
0: Absolutely. I mean, this was right up there for me with the Arthur episode. Uh, and I mean, like part of me is kind of like, oh, I want to stay, I want to keep staying in Camelot just because the these, the, by far the best two episodes of the season and arguably the best two episodes we've had in a while are the ones that have really focused on the entire mythos of Camelot. And I do have a theory about that because I, I think that in bringing the characters into like a new world and a new set of characters rather than what they've been doing the past couple seasons, which is just introducing one new one or two new characters into the storybrook atmosphere brings an entirely new mythology that the writers can kind of spin off of instead of you know the the two episodes that we've been talking about are the, very rarely feature any scenes in storybrook and so the writers can say okay let's spend a couple episodes in camelot since we know nothing about it and we brought people there so they're able to benefit from that extremely
1: yeah, but they've got to get more mileage out of having the rights to only use. so we have to get back to storybrook at some point
0: yeah, that's true, and I mean, this, uh, again, we we got one more scene in Storybrooke than we did in the Arthur episode, <laughs> so who knows, maybe if we have another, like, if we have, like, a Guinevere flashback episode, they'll have three scenes in Storybrooke. Hey, let's, let's cross our fingers. Yeah, so, I, I mean, this is, I'm really excited to dive into this episode, I yeah. thought, really lots of great emotional stuff, uh, I mean, there's a B plot that is probably not too great, but I think the other stuff <laughs> really makes up for it.
1: <laughs> we are on the same page. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. I want to pull a Jeremy Collins and just ask a lot of these characters, "Why are you all so dumb?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or these guys are so dumb. I was com- I was combining his two key catchphrases. But let's <laughs> let's jump back in time, and I feel like I might actually have to give you some more kudos points here, Kirk, because we did joke before about if once upon a time would go into biblical times. And I think this first scene, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say it's in those times, but it seems a lot like it based on like the garb and they're in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and there's a grail. <laughs> and there's a grail. <laughs> which, 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 which,
1: I mean, yeah, it's part of Arthurian legend, the Holy Grail. We seek the grail. Um, <laughs> and, but I mean, that is itself steeped in biblical lore. And so yeah. it's, it, it's the the whole Camelot thing it kinda of stems from that anyway. So but yeah, I didn't even think about that. You're right. It it there, there's uh we're not quite sure where they're at, but uh <laughs> it, it's it's definitely desert-like.
0: <laughs> yeah, this actually, and, uh, you know, whoever bet that by minute five of this podcast will be making a lost reference, congratulations, you just won some money for the week. Uh, this reminded me a lot of the, but a much better version of that lost episode Across the Sea, which was, uh, I believe, the second-to-last episode of the entire, or the third-to-last of the entire series, and it showed, like, oh, this is what happens in the origins of the island, and we get to see the origins here of the Dark One, and this scene, we see, like, the origins of the origins of the Dark one, where Arthur, uh, Merlin, and this and this other man are wandering through the desert, and you know when you see this other man that he's he's probably going to die soon. Yeah. Uh, they 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 find the Grail and and a scene that strangely kind of mirrors uh sir Kay and arthur um the you know this man is very greedy and says like oh this is a sign from the gods that i need to drink from it and he is immediately vaporized and i guess that should i didn't get the whole grail gets turned into excalibur thing until it actually happened but looking at it now that probably should include me in a little more as to the similarities between the two
1: yeah it it's at the very least, I thought maybe they were like you know forged from the same flame or something like that. I thought I figured there was some sort of relation to it, and I you know and I, I really kind of liked the the eventual reveal that you know Excalibur is basically the Holy Grail in another form. I mean, that's that's actually very interesting. Um, but the yeah this the, our, our Sir Kay of biblical times kind of you know we saw I think we all saw that coming. <laughs> K, K- Thusala, yeah. if you will. Yes, uh, he he also <laughs> chose poorly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But Merlin, uh, I guess in being kind and asking the gods first, uh, not in showing his etiquette, he's able to drink from it. And it turns out, I guess we found out the purpose of the Holy Grail, which is to grant this person magical powers. And we see that where he, uh, pulls a scene from Heroes Reborn and turns the desert into grass. (laughs) It did seem very,
1: very familiar, uh, from that, from that last season. Um, I, I I had little flashbacks there as well to to uh, I can't remember the character's name, but the guy who ran the the carnival. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's it, it makes me wonder: like, did the first guy, if he had just kind of shown some humility and asked, would he have been given this power? That could have taken this. in a Yeah, or, or said
0: please. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
1: just be polite. That's so all. The, that's all the grand wants.
0: This brings up an interesting question, though, Kurt, because. Are we to believe that this is like the origin of magic in general? Are magical powers derived from drinking from the grail or because I'm still kind of confused and maybe we'll hash this out as we track this origin story a little bit. I I don't know if we're supposed to believe that Merlin is and this grail is the point from which all magical power comes from. We don't really even have, you know, without again, you know, dipping into, you know,
1: you know biblical lore uh we don't really have a story about like even how where the grail came from and how it got there and if it had a previous life prior to merlin finding it um in terms of like, granting this sort of power uh and like you know exactly you know if we're to believe that this ha- i mean if we believe that this happened it was said a thousand years ago then yeah that- a thousand years before arthur ba <laughs> <laughs> is, is that was well, that what it said was I think like, it said a thousand. It said a thousand years before the year of Arthur. I think it said uh, okay. Because I'm like wondering, well, you know, technically, if you're matching that up against our calendar, does that make it 1015? In which case, this is actually after the Grail was actually used, or, uh, you know, around the time of Jesus. of Nazareth. And I just got started going into a tailspin mentally. I was like, you know what? Let's. I I, I don't necessarily. Think, like I didn't necessarily conclude or come away from this this was the origin of magic I realized it was obviously the origin of Merlin as we know him uh doesn't preclude other magicians necessarily taking uh existing but I do think that we you know we later do see the the birth of of the dark one um and you're know, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves uh i'll i'll raise up my other point when we get to the the story of Nimue
0: well let 's jump forward about eight hundred years yeah. uh, two hundred years uh, before all this stuff happens in Camelot we get uh, to a, a random town that Merlin 's sort of hanging out in, and he 's uh, sort of broken down with this uh, this little kid who my wife totally called it on the couch at that moment that that kid was the apprentice, and I totally went over my head until later on uh but i definitely could understand it considering he tells him to go like look after the brooms uh did you did you catch that the first time
1: yeah and actually I, I paused it at that point and looked it up and then that red cloak that he's wearing is the exact same red cloak that mickey wears and all the classical ah. sorcerer's apprentice kind of the the big puffy neck uh of the red cloak yeah. uh, so that's definitely mickey's cloak um but uh and at this point I was like wondering, is this the one of many apprentices? Is this the same apprentice that we found out died? Um, and did he have like some sort of longevity power? That's the only thing I don't know if it's the, yeah, like, you know, if there's a lineage of apprentices, but, uh, um, but yeah, definitely the, between the broom reference and the red cloak, I was like, Oh, this is, this is another, uh, Sorcerer's apprentice reference.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I also wonder how this falls within the, the whole author stuff. And I, I have I have a hunch that we're not going to get any sort of connection between the two because I feel like the once creators are like all the author stuff was last season. We're going to leave it there. Uh, but is it, it's interesting to think about, like, now that we've seen Merlin and we know that he is like the sorcerer you know, at this point, did he choose the apprentice to be an author or was another author chosen at that point? Was Isaac the author? And that's when he got, you know, that's when he disobeyed him. It's really interesting to, to see how those two timelines match up.
1: Yeah. We don't know the timeline of authors. I think the earliest one that was referenced was Shakespeare. Um, and so we don't oh, yeah, forgot about that <laughs> so so again trying to kind of match up the timelines can become a little tricky i think you know I, if anything like if we have to like kind of force the logic then uh, you know merlin uh, became uh, a, a, a the sorcerer you know prior to shakespeare's time uh which which seems to make sense in what we're seeing so i yeah i'm wondering when the uh, when at one point they decided they had enough funding to bring on a third person into the berlin yeah. crew and so it's gonna be it's gonna be sorcerer sorcerer's apprentice and then later we'll add an author
0: yeah exactly it's it's like a startup and they're like oh you know we, yeah. we got some we got some angel funds yeah. i think we'll be able to bring in someone too. yeah he's going on on shark tank and uh <laughs> and getting additional wizard funding uh, so as you know, Merlin's hanging out and, he, and he's basically using his powers for good. He stumbles upon a woman that it's the only woman he's ever encountered who he cannot predict the future for, and uh, that probably was should have been warning sign number one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a red flag. I mean, I mean, you know, to be fair, if I was Merlin in the situation, I wouldn't necessarily know that this is something I needed to be aware of. If anything, it would just make me much more curious about her. Yeah. And, and, and I have to imagine that, you know, meeting uh, a woman that he's attracted to, or uh, at least that part of that attraction, but probably coming from the fact that he can't completely read her. And that, that has to, I think, intrigue him somewhat and actually make him more drawn to her. Uh, the fact that, you know, finally there's somebody that he can't read their every thought, somebody that he actually has to get to know.
0: Yeah. And he's never, I mean, I'm going to make assumptions here, but I feel like he hasn't really encountered that much evil in his 800 years he seems to be living a pretty ho-hum life so i i think he's he's not going to make assumptions that something bad is going to happen automatically because he can't read the future of this one woman
1: right and and it sounds like you know the fact that there's this uh this uh person named vortigan who's who's kind of ransacking villages obviously there is evil in this world not dark one evil but he has encountered evil before and he's probably been able to read the thoughts of evil people and so just simply not um being able to read her thoughts you know, he's been, um, by not being able to read her thoughts, it doesn't automatically automatically clue him into the fact that that he needs to be wary of anything down the road.
0: So as you just talked about, she uh, this woman comes to him to kind of talk about how there's this man named Vordigan who is sort of ransacking town. Sounds a lot like Verlox the Darkness from the <laughs> short-lived show The Quest. Um, and she basically says, you know, I have these seeds from the Middlemist flowers. So we get a little bit of like an origin story as to where all those pink flowers came from in the, uh, in the fourth episode as well. And she basically says like, I want you to use your magic to help me get revenge. Uh, but Merlin is... <clears throat> Being a little hippy dippy and just says like, "Nah, free love, I can't do that." But you're looking pretty good. What's your name? And she reveals her name, a name that we will hear a few, quite a few times in this episode. In fact, it's the title of it. It is Nimue. Right,
1: and and, and to be fair, I mean, we, he she actually goes into detail. Well, that her idea of revenge is the is if the if these middle mist flowers, which only originally grew around her village, if they could actually live on. You know, despite the fact that Vertigan, you know, completely raised the village, if these flowers could live on, that would be her best idea of revenge. And I think there was kind of like a, almost like a, a turn there where, you know, we we at first she's like, I just want revenge. We're like, ooh this is trouble. But then she reveals what she actually means by revenge. And I think Merlin's actually, you know, you know, down with that.
0: Yeah, I just think I mean, I think this episode did a really great job of sort of. I mean, pun unintended planting the seeds in uh-huh. terms of uh nimoways eventually turned to the dark side and i think this is a really good one where it's clear coming in that like i think she's coming in a little too hot in terms of like it's clear that she is very vengeful against uh against worgen okay. whether that has you know is it's violent or non-violent she still is harboring Evil feelings towards him, and that's going to manifest itself in uh, eventually using her powers selfishly and taking his heart and becoming the dark one.
1: That's not at all how I took it, though. I I, really, no, yeah, I took it as like, like, we're supposed to, like, she says she wants revenge and like, we're supposed to be put on edge by that. But then we're like, oh, she's actually got a, like, her idea of revenge is actually peaceful like it's something that's actually a positive for the world it's not so much like it's i, I didn't see it as coming from anger at the, at that point i thought it was more like we were supposed to be initially wary of her but then she explains what she means by revenge and she's like oh actually you know what that's that's a because uh, she says that she, you know, later on she says that she doesn't feel guilty she feels angry but the way she's channeling that anger is actually you know fruitful and productive and and in a positive way which i think is there's actually something to learn from that i not until later that we kind of see her 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 reaction to being back in the town that you know things starting to go a little bit awkward so i personally didn't see this initial reaction as a warning sign as much of a oh here's a person who feels a natural feeling that she should feel and is able to channel that into a positive way just planting mm-hmm. flowers
0: well, it's interesting and I, I do sort of like how it also, I mean, we can make a lot of ties between Merlin and Nimue's story and the stuff that's going on with relationships with our typical characters. And this is, this her uh, sort of scheme scream very much like stiltskin to me. Like she has this sort of one flaw or almost like Zelina too, where they have this like one thing one side of them that really just like you see it at first and it's like fine but we will see over the course of this episode it really starts like poke at her more and more eat (laughs) away at her that causes her to make really bad decisions yeah i mean and and to your point
1: it does end up going into a dark place
0: uh and
1: and you know and perhaps is one of the things that the merlin should look back and say well should that be something i was
0: i was wary of but you know you know, things do not play out for the best <laughs> no definitely not but let's progress some number of years later where Merlin wants to propose to Nimue but he finally after all these years takes the time to finally actually not too long because it seems like none of them have aged uh, yeah. but he reveals his secret about why he hasn't aged is that he has been become magic through drinking out of the holy grail which has made him immortal and he sort of describes the one of the typical fallacies of being immortal, which is basically you have to watch all your friends and family and everyone you love die around you. Uh, But she has just the idea of, Oh, I'm just going to, I will drink from the grail and I'll live with you forever. But Merlin is not so sure about that.
1: Yeah. And and I thought that he was objecting at first because let me tell you about this guy who did that once when I first drank from the grail, but he, he doesn't seem to think that the issue is so much her drinking from the grail and disintegrating. It's more that if she drank from the grail, she'd be cursed with the same thing that he is. Um, I'm like, well, that would give you a kind of a partner to live long, you know, to live through this with. And um, he, he, I, I think he's, he's being protective of her. I think for a reason other than I expected him to.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like his logic here where he's like, he basically uses the the, the argument of like, well, if everyone, you know, if everyone had a million dollars, then what would rich mean? He's basically saying like, well, immortality will become more commonplace if more and more people drink out of the grail, which I don't think is probably the best method you want to use to try to get your girlfriend to not drink from the Holy Grail.
1: <laughs> I like the fact that it's like, she's like, if you, if you still have the grail, he's like, oh, it's basically in your living room.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I love how he just basically like kept, it's, it was very like, that's very once upon a time to be that it's like, Oh, here's this all powerful object. Oh yeah. I've kind of had it over here the entire time. I didn't know what it was at first, but yeah, I guess we can dust it off and use it. Yeah. There's flowers in it currently or
1: there's
0: <laughs> yeah, a exactly. nice little centerpiece. Yeah, absolutely. But,
1: uh, well, the, the thing that threw me like the is I, one of the two issues I had with this episode is like, he suddenly leaps. Basically the solution is let's shape the grail into a sword and it will cut away the magic that's granted to me and yeah. i'll no longer be immortal <laughs> leap and, in uh, logic there I, okay and granted i don't uh understand magic i'm not a practitioner <laughs> of magic i have not studied magic it and maybe that is like the the you know the thesis you put forth at this point in terms of what you should be doing but i'm like um okay, I wouldn't have necessarily gone that way, but uh, you know what? It, it, it shuttles the story forward.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's it's strange. Yeah, the, the strange leaps in logic. And actually, Vortigan's going to kind of oh, yeah. lampshade this <laughs> later on when he says, like, well, if you didn't want me to attack you with this, you shouldn't have made it a sword. Well, not just that. Uh, He's like,
1: like you know, Merlin says, you know, this it's not meant to be used as a weapon. And then, then that's to important says, well, then you shouldn't have made it into a sword. Yeah. It's like, and I was like, sure. Like if you make it into like a pair of pinking shears or something that you can just simply snip away the immortality, don't make it into this huge weapon. Yeah. It's, if into like a seam ripper, exactly. <laughs> a little exacto knife of magic. Yeah. Um, <gasps> but, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I didn't quite get that, um, the, <laughs> you know goal your goal is c you're at a and you somehow get there through going through mnop instead of b i, I don't know it yeah. just it was it was strange but you know what it, it uh, we've got we got excalibur out of it
0: we got we did get excalibur out of it but first we have uh, a, a visit to nimway's former village i guess i'm going to call it because there is nothing left uh it is ravaged and burned to the ground and you know she sort of again emphasize reemphasizes her point of you know i want to use revenge to get I want to use magic to get revenge on bad people. And it turns out they sort of examine the scene and sort of piece the clues together to come out that like, Oh, Vortigan, uh, was either very thirsty and throwing all these cups aside, <laughs> or he is also looking for the grail. Yeah, that was, that was a nice bit of
1: CSI detection work there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, that was more rather than leap of logic that there was, that was a little Holmesian in terms of putting stuff together. I was okay with that, that, that trail of connecting with us.
0: Merlin is such a heartthrob. He basically is the Benedict Cumberbatch of this show. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) uh yeah it's it is a little i mean i think again they had to pack a lot into this episode so they just did ran through things really quickly i think that explains what you mentioned just a few minutes ago about the let's turn the grail into a sword thing and that also kind of is like is why they threw this random tidbit in at the end of the scene of like he tries to use basically like his magical powers to cast a protection spell over the uh over the grail but then he sees vordigan in his mind's eye and he You know, he says like, oh, you know, know, I can't use magic to kill someone because if you use magic to take a life, then the darkness will dig down deep inside you. And that is like foreshadowing has flown overhead saying somebody is going to do that. And it's probably not going to be the man who is not the dark one.
1: Yeah. and and Even a little bit earlier, like when he's like, I'm going to go over here and cast like, you know, use my magic sight. You you know, you make sure that the grail is still in the backpack. And I'm like, that's when I have my notes. This is not going to end well like that. That's. That sounds like, you know, she just got done kind of, this is where she kind of went on to her soliloquy of, you know, how she isn't, she doesn't feel guilty. She doesn't have, uh, he kind of dropped a hint at survivor's guilt. Um, I thought survivor guilt was something different. I thought that's when I bailed on French to watch TV on, on Wednesday nights. Um, <laughs> but uh, But he, like, she's like, I'm angry. And I'm like, okay, well, don't give the angry person the task of, looking for the grail when you know kind of what she wants to do with yeah. it yeah
0: you never never drink out of the grail mad yeah. it's like never go to bed bad <laughs> Yeah, but
1: he's like he senses that you know Vortigern is near you know he's you know on the horizon where we just came from uh, let us hurry and i couldn't tell immediately if he was like well let's hear hurry like is it like run away or is it like hurrying toward <laughs> him or um but Run is away! It, I think they, I think they're running away toward the 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 flame of Prometheus at this
0: point. Yeah, I guess I guess so. I guess I mean I guess they were going. Uh, yeah, it's the that's a little confusing as well as to were they always going there and just decided to take a pit stop through her town or after they realized the Vardigian was looking for the Grail, did they realize oh we should go there right now? It's Again, they probably couldn't, uh, the, maybe there's in deleted scenes or something, their their path there, but it is a little confusing, the sequence of events and why they decide to go to the Flame of Pr- Prometheus right there, right then.
1: Well, I think, I think they were always heading there, and it was just, they were passing through, the village was just on the way. Because, <laughs> well, let's pass through this horrible memory of yours. <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, can we, it's just out of the way. Let's let's see if you, you know, anything left behind. Um, but, you know, given that they have to use in the, Present day storyline: the the flame of Prometheus, the spark, to uh, basically meld the sword together, and it says you have to use the spark that first forged the sword. Uh, I think you know the idea is that they had, they're going to the flame of Prometheus at this point to reforge the Grail into the sword, and I think that was always their destination.
0: So let's let's get to the flame of Prometheus here, and actually, I'm I might be uh, saying something incorrect here, Kurt, but I believe that they focus on like an insignia on one of the the gates there and i think that's the insignia that's on the tunnel leading into camelot that we see oh. later on uh i might be completely wrong in this but if it's true that's a that's a nice little connection point
1: was it kind of this insignia on like that That was that that window that overlooked the flame that was kind of uh, yeah the, the the, the wall like behind
0: the, it yeah the very first shot we yeah. saw in that in that one scene yeah i'm pretty sure it was the same insignia
1: oh it could very well be i mean it, maybe it's a they're kind of in the same you know, general vicinity. Well, at least within a, eight night's walk. Um, so I, yeah, it could be, I, I did, I, it, it looks va- in my mind's eye. It seems like it's uh, vaguely like familiar or, or similar. So I, I, it could be right.
0: Yeah. And then maybe that's, maybe that's, uh, I haven't looked too much at Excalibur recently, but maybe that's some sort of insignia on Excalibur as well. Maybe that's the like Excalibur, uh, coat of arms. Yeah. It, it could very well be. So, the uh, the process of apparently reforging the grail involves Merlin pulling like flaming tennis balls uh and putting them into the grail and then it sort of shifts shifts a little T one thousand like and it forms into the sword and just in time for Vortigan to appear and raise all hell. Yeah, and uh it, we 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 do get a, a I'm jumping ahead a little bit until so
1: the 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 unmasking of Vortigan. Because at this point I'm like, oh, so is Vordigan the Dark One, mm-hmm. and because we see that we, we we know of we know of this mask, but I really there's just a mask because Vordigan's kind of ugly.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically, he's, he's scarred, and I guess he wants to become like you know he. Uh, I think they, they fear the powerful power of the masked man more than just seeing some random scarred you know bulbousy nose guy running through and ransacking their town. So he rep- it's what he represents more than who he actually is.
1: Yeah, and you know he kind of quickly takes Nimue hostage and she rips off the mask we get to see ugly you know Vortigan. um and yep you know, she at that point is when he kind of stabs her and she apparently dies
0: yeah and though again this is another like interesting seed that was being planted where we could have known something was up when she you know when when vordigan first takes him away like Merlin goes like reaches out to her and way anyway says like, no, I can, uh, I can do this on my own. And that maybe was kind of like, now a light bulb clicks in my head. of like, Oh, that means that she already had magical power. And what she meant was like, Oh, don't worry. I'm going to kick his ass for both of us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, at this point, obviously she does have the magical power, but it's like one of those things where, um, you know, when we saw Merlin drink from the cup, he was able to kind of completely transform at least that section of the desert into a nice, you know, grassland. Um, like, I'm wondering if, like, she, it doesn't seem like she's, she would have been by Merlin the entire trip from her village to this point. It's not like she's had a chance to practice her magic. Yeah. So I'm not sure what she was thinking she'd be able to do.
0: Maybe the, maybe the grass is like when you get a new computer and you start it up and you have to start, like, typing in some personal information, account information to begin. Like, it's the diagnostics, basically, of magic. The first thing you always have to do is make grass appear. She's She's building a profile. Yeah, exactly. You start with the botany and then you move up to the hardcore stuff. But yeah, so at first we think that uh, that Nimue is dying. She gets stabbed and she she appears to die in his arms. And I'm glad that we weren't live tweeting it or anything. Or I might have said, oh, no, she's dead. And of course, in true Once Upon a Recap fashion, that would not be true.
1: At least we got the same answer in this episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. For all we know, like, oh, like off screen. Oh, yeah, Nimue was alive. And then she became the dark one. (laughs) So Vortigern has Merlin sort of cornered here. Uh, You know, Merlin is very besides himself that his one true love is apparently dead. Yeah, He
1: dropped Excalibur to get to her, which Vortigern was able to pick up.
0: Yep. And but before anything can happen, Nimue pulls out his heart from behind. And we get this whole reveal that she had drank from the grail before after it was left to her alone. And uh she I also don't understand her faking dead to like quote unquote show Merlin what death is like and how you don't need it. Like that's that's a strange idea for me to sort of digest.
1: Yeah, and I I, I got the sense that maybe that was like just like, like a secondary, like that wasn't necessarily her main purpose. Like maybe her main purpose was to get Vortigan off 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 kilter and to be able to attack him from behind. Um but this so that was even if that was like a, a byproduct of of her faking her death. It's a strange thing to call out. I didn't really see the point, but.
0: Yeah, well, because I think, I don't know, because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, when, when, she does this, is she still trying to like pursue a relationship with Merlin? I mean, when she does this, it sort of makes me question all along, like, was she actually in love with Merlin, or was she trying to utilize his, just use him for his magical power? Because, I mean, he's spouted out information before about, like, if you kill someone, darkness will take you over, and I don't think she expected to become the dark one, but she has to realize, like, okay, maybe after I do this and trick you, we're probably not going to end up together. I don't I didn't
1: get the sense that she'd been using him the whole time. I got the sense that, uh, because like they kind of had seemed like he's proposing to her at a point where she doesn't even know about the grail. Um, mm-hmm. and like, I, I, I just didn't get the sense that it was a case of her leading him on, especially we even, you know, we, we do hear from Emma in the modern day, storyline that, that she still has, you know, Nimway still has feelings for you. Is it something that yeah. she tells Merlin? So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that, that it's just that, this kind of thing has got away from her a little bit in terms of the enthusiasm with which she could wreak revenge when she was given the opportunity. But like yeah, she, like, she didn't know that again yeah. was going to follow them. Um, so
0: yeah. 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 Like she, she definitely is coming in too hot there. <laughs> uh, so she, I mean, the, Merlin tries to stop her basically saying, you know, uh, you know, if you're, if you crush your heart, we're basically, we're both going to lose everything, and she still does it anyway. She goes along with her revenge plan. Vortigin dies, the flame goes out, then we'll find out the spark will eventually reside within Nimue herself, and she immediately grows scaly, which again, I'll have to throw out the question that I asked in the premiere. Why are all the Dark Ones turning scaly except for Emma? Um, I think it's because she...
1: Nimue became the Dark One through an act of evil, mm-hmm. and... And I think it's kind of addressed because throughout the, the first couple episodes of the season, Emma is basically asking. So my you know, there's a couple points where she asks, is you know, it, I'm not scaly yet, right? I mean she kind of there's some commentary about the fact that she hasn't gone, you know, full crocodile. <laughs> um, and so I think the fact that, you know, Emma basically took the darkness on herself to save somebody else, but hasn't really committed an evil act uh as Nimue has done uh that's kind of i think the one of the thing that's that's keeping her from it just the, my, uh yeah. my my conjecture
0: oh yeah i guess that i guess that makes sense i don't know or maybe just dark swan looks too badass and the, the, they didn't want to put her do you know they didn't want to put uh put her through that much makeup every single day <laughs> yeah that's true But uh, to sort of uh, add insult to injury here, Nimue decides she apologizes after fully becoming the Dark One, takes Vortigan's Mask, and decides to smash Excalibur against the podium, which shatters the sword in two. And that is how we have gotten the quote-unquote halves of (laughs) Excalibur and the Dark One dagger. Yeah.
1: And... uh... It, it, there are a lot of firsts in this episode in terms of we see the first dark one. We saw the the first uh, known act of somebody ripping somebody's heart out, at least mm-hmm. in the timeline-wise. This is the first one. Not to say that's not going to – an episode down the road that takes place before this. Maybe we'll see it. Um, but I, I thought it all tied together nicely. The only, the only question I had is, does this mean – and maybe this goes back to your question about was Merlin the first magician. Uh, <clears throat> is you know so nobody up to this point has used magic for evil purposes or at least magic granted by the grail for evil purposes i can see the latter more than the former Mm -hmm. um if there's if there are other ways to get magic maybe you figure they'd have to be used for evil but maybe it's just that um magic granted by the grail had never been used for evil before and that's what generated the dark one
0: yeah that's the exact question that i had as well as like i mean this even if it's power that exists like you know, the, ma- magic has existed in this world for hundreds of years. There, Nimoy can't be the first person that used magic to kill someone, but maybe it's because it's magic specifically derived from the Grail, and it's magic that's given "quote unquote" from the gods, as as outlined in that first scene. Maybe it's sort of like if you look in like Greek mythology, how you know the gods gave gifts, and if people misuse those gifts, kind of like the story of Prometheus, then you were punished as a result. And maybe it's maybe you're right. Maybe it's because she used this gift from the gods and drank from the grail to become magic and used that to commit evil. They decided to punish her by making her the original Dark One.
1: Does this mean we're going to see Prometheus as a character? That would be fun.
0: No, it's actually we're actually going to see the astronauts from the film Prometheus. Oh, no. Yeah, they're going to... I'm out. Uh, Mike, Michael Fassbender <laughs> as the robot is going to come in for season 5B. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be season... The finale of 5A is going to be like a space capsule lands in Storybrooke and astronauts get out of it. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be really exciting. Uh, to finish up the uh, the flashback here, or flashback within the flashback, we have a scene between the apprentice and I mean the apprentice and Merlin, uh, uh, yeah. and I, I actually kind of like a, I think a nice little poignant thing here where Merlin talks about like you know uh, it doesn't matter that a apprentice says like too oh, too bad you couldn't have seen her future, or you would have seen this coming, and he's like well he you know he poignantly says life has made a moment, and some of my best were with her, and I thought that was just a nice way to sort of leave the character on and sort of connect it back to the next time we see him chronologically, which is him getting turned into the tree by her.
1: Yeah. And, and just like one quick note, that was like a little bit of a, a strange use of the flashback because it was more of a visualized memory in the current timeline versus a flashback of action. But it, show, it, but it was still in the old time. It, it, it was something we didn't see often done. You know what I'm saying yeah. is that it, it wasn't really presented, presented uh, in that same uh, in that same manner. It was really more as a I'm going to talk about this and we're going to show it on the screen. But it it's, it's me in the present day talking about something that happened in the past. So it's kind of a flashback, but it's kind of not that, that, yeah. that to me confused me a little bit. But
0: yeah, I, it's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of the scrubs when J.D. looks like up into the left and goes into his dream sequence and everyone else just kind of has to stand there and watch him for a few seconds. Yeah. So let's flash a little bit forward. We're still in Camelot, but we'll focus on the main uh, Emma and Merlin sort of buddy road trip uh, episode here where they're going to act upon their plan that they outlined the last episode, I believe, which is we're going to unite the two blades. But, you know, you guys go off and into Camelot to get Arthur's sword. Meanwhile, we're going to go to find the the spark that originally forged it so we can, you know, reunite the two pieces of metal. Um, so focus on the Emma Merlin stuff first. Uh, but first i will I'll we'll focus on this Emma and hook scene, which yeah. m- for, I, I, I don't know for all intents and purposes. I, 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 this might be the last time they see each other. I don't know. We only have a few episodes left, but it's a very poignant scene where, you know, they, they say goodbye. Emma quotes the four seasons, um, and of course, Hulk doesn't understand it, but but he uh, understands that he doesn't understand it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, maybe <laughs> since he was able to use Star Wars references a few episodes ago, maybe he'll start singing Sherry on the top of his lungs a couple of episodes from now as he's nursing a bottle of rum. But he decides to give her uh, before she leaves a ring that I feel like is sort of Chekhov's ring here. Uh, Do you I mean, I have no idea where it's going to fall in terms of significance, but I feel like he outlined that ring so much that it it can't not be used.
1: Yeah, it it is definitely Chekhov's ring. So there's going to be we're going to be seeing this again at some point. Um, I think this the, the, the question is just, you know, really in, in in what capacity I know that that uh, Becca on Twitter at Greenshoe 90 said does anyone else think that hook gave, giving Emma the ring that's kept him alive has some bad implications I don't know if you can say that it like I actually took it from a you know what does this what's the significance of this I actually took it more of as a uh, if assuming Emma eventually sheds the dark one mantle or becomes good again my guess is that the ring plays some role in that as opposed to Hook screwed because he gave up the only thing that's kept him alive.
0: Yeah, it's not. Uh, we haven't really, at least I don't remember hearing about this ring beforehand. So this isn't like his one. This isn't like, you know, now he's left vulnerable because this isn't like his lucky ring. I just feel like it was, it's more of a symbolic gesture. And maybe maybe it'll be like a spell in a few episodes that that's like you must use uh, an object from somebody who you once loved. And so she'll be able to uh, use the ring there.
1: It, it was kind of like harkening back to, well, she already, she already, uh, she had to go steal his sword that was close. Yeah. That, that was because that was proximity to gold. Yeah, because so it, yeah. it touched
0: the former dark one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. The, the ring will come into play. It will. In, in some way, somehow within but, two episodes. Yeah. Within, I mean, we're going to have a two hour episode next, next time. I have oh a gosh. feeling that it's going to, it might even play out sometime there. Now, now that Excalibur is completely reforged, but as Merlin and Emma are walking through the forest, uh, they, so Merlin sort of, uh, expositions, what the, what they're after, which is the flame of Prometheus, uh, which is, you know, very ironic considering that the legend of Prometheus is basically a guy who, thought he was doing good by bringing flame to mankind, but he was actually doing bad from the gods' point of view, and that sort of explains the entire philosophy of the Dark One, which is like, oh, I'm just helping people out. I'm, I'm assisting them. I'm doing good in this world when you're actually doing really bad things in the eyes of others. Ah, Prometheus was a thief.
1: He was basically a glorified like jack and the beanstalk going up to where you shouldn't be going, taking back something that's not yours, uh, except Prometheus got punished and Jack didn't. <laughs>
0: Yep, exactly. It's it's ageism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um Emma is notices that Merlin is a little down in the dumps, and he he remarks that you know, just so you know, when you get there, you're going to have to probably fight the original Dark One. uh And so Emma is obviously extremely hesitant to do this, and Merlin is going to outline two paths for her that will come into play almost immediately in this episode, which I believe one path is basically like either we both survive or you succumb to the darkness and you kill me. <laughs> yeah, and.
1: And I wasn't sure. He's like he. <coughs> he said because I didn't quite get the, uh, initially that the first dark one that they're going to be seeing would just kind of be in her mind like Rumplestiltskin had been, um, but you know she kind of spells that out for us and says, "Wait, so if the other, you know, if the uh, the first dark one's really just kind of only in my mind, and and you're going to get killed, then I would be doing the killing." He's like, "Yep," and also all those that you love would be at risk if that happens. <laughs>
0: Yep. Uh, And I think, I mean, I don't know, it might have been spoiler alert that we actually we hadn't we hadn't seen him alive uh, later on. And we don't know what the timing of that magical voicemail was. But I, I had no fear in terms of Merlin here. I did. I did not think that Emma was going to kill him.
1: Um, I I was thinking about the magical voicemail, too. I was a little unsure what was going to happen. Like part of me was like he could something could happen to him, but maybe he's also downplaying. Um, for Emma, what would actually happen? Like, let's say he actually foresees that that she attacks him. It's better that she believe that he, be, he was killed when he's actually maybe just on another plane of existence and then comes back to right all the wrongs she's doing. I wasn't. I wasn't as sure.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, at least it doesn't happen. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I I feel like. There should have there would have been like a grander event, or at least Merlin wouldn't have outlined it right there. I feel like they it w- it would want it to come as much more of a surprise instead of saying like, "Well." I'll tell you, fifty minutes into the, into the episode, you're going to have the choice to kill me, <laughs> uh, and then to have her actually do it later on would be a little anticlimactic, from my point of view.
1: Well, my predictions are good two, three episodes out. If you were here, sitting here watching the episode with me and ask me, "Okay, what's going to happen?" I'm terrible at that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's always. I mean, that, and that speaks well about the show that they're able to like throw in some pretty good twists. I mean, I think based on your predictions, I kind of personally saw the Nimoy the Dark One twist coming, but they they still are able to like make it work.
1: Right, and and. You know, going back to what we what happened in the I believe it was the last episode or the, the the previous episode six is that you know Merlin in his magical voicemail is back to directing them to find Nimue to help them. So something's up there. I mean, just like you know, in in some manner, Nimue lost her Dark One status. Just like mm-hmm. you know, Stiltskin lost his Dark One status is on the is, is on the path to becoming a hero. You know. Maybe things are redeemed with Nimue, and, and that's where we end up seeing things go. But that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit.
0: That, yeah, that's, well, that's looking well, down the road. We can definitely look down the road later on. But yeah. let's let's see. I mean, Merlin and Emma, They speaking of the road, they reach of the end of the road here. They get to the uh, sanctuary, I guess, of where the, flame, where the Flame of Prometheus was. And so what basically Merlin has to do, or Emma has to do, is hold the dagger and basically summon the dark one or his summon like the, look up the history of dark magic basically and we see a nice little effect where there's like a roulette wheel of dark one <laughs> names that flash and i'm sure if anyone you know any of you uh you screen cappers i'm sure could like could have paused it and seen a lot of the names because i, I rumpelstiltskin was very prominent on there but i'm sure we would have seen zoso we saw uh, Gorg-
1: we saw gorgon. Uh, gorgon
0: gorgon was, that- was the one before zoso i think yeah it and 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 we also have
1: at the very end of the episode answer, like, well, how many dark ones were there exactly? Uh, <laughs> uh, a gaggle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Baker's dozen,
0: it looks like.
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it was, uh, it, yeah, I, I, I didn't do the whole pause thing. I I kind of got the feeling that a lot of it was just like blurry and they didn't actually have a ton of names in there. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you saw, I, I, de- I definitely saw a few, but yeah, it's, it was like, where's it going to land? Nobody knows.
0: <laughs> And it landed on Nimaway, And yes. that, this is where. Come again, on down. Are, yeah. You are the next contestant on Kill Someone. It's uh, <laughs> a horrible name of yeah. a game show. <laughs> uh, I, can, I, I
1: could hear your mind racing for where is this going to end.
0: <laughs> yep. And it definitely trailed off there, though. I could see totally see the way like American TV is going. where like by like the year 2050. There might be a game show where like you have to kill someone. And that's the that you win like a, a brand new house yeah. as a prize. The running man. Yeah, exactly. It's like those uh those old like school ba- old, old reality bounty shows uh <laughs> where you're purposely on the run but like you're hunted for sport. But uh Nimue appears. This is the first time chronologically in the episode that we see Nimue. and uh I mean this is this is the big reveal. So, I mean, I would say overall, Kurt, I, we've talked about it a little bit before, but what do you think about your correct prediction that Nimue is the dark one, and sort of the significance of that.
1: I was really happy that I was right. I mean, who, <laughs> who, who's upset when they're right? That's uh, true. <laughs> I mean, I can She's probably lots of situations where you can say you are. Um, but no, it was. It, yeah, I think. I mean, even though to me, I it wasn't that I saw it coming. It was more of a, a guess, and I was yeah, I was happy that it landed that way. But also, it also kind of to me show that, well, everything from the story to me from a story perspective to me is making sense and clicking into place. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was kind of curious. I was actually up to that point where she, you know, turns. I was really enjoying the Nimue Merlin relationship in terms of, uh, you know, all the different couples we've seen, I was there kind of at the top of my list in terms of couples I liked to see and i I, I was rooting for them for it to work out uh and, and and saddened when it didn't um so it was I thought it was a i thought it was a uh a, an, an, an interesting and and good call from a story perspective
0: yeah I agree, and I think again this complicates the relationship so much, and I feel like it does a great job of saying like well this isn't just like a one time fling of Merlin's that got killed and that sort of informed his Liam Neeson-esque, you know, you kill, or, you know, yeah. Indigo Montoya-esque, you killed my right. wife, or my, my soon-to-be wife prepared to die type of motto. The, the, uh,
1: the thing I wasn't expecting, though, was that we learned Merlin basically stole the dagger from Team Charming. Yeah. To, and it's like, yeah, well, they needed it to communicate with the first Dark One. In which case, I'm like, why don't you just use a crimson crown? I mean, because that is your, you know, go to mushroom for communicating across barriers. But the, um, they needed the dark one dagger to communicate. I, I, I get. I was just surprised that they. Like, I think he could have explained that to Team Charming, but he stole it from them.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because I think maybe he has the feeling that he's still not too much to be trusted with these people, yeah. uh, considering that I mean he just met. Arthur, uh, Lancelot's still on their good side, but he was, you know, he was suspected for a good while, and Arthur has, was a new person they just met, and he revealed himself to be a complete douche, and so I think Merlin's saying, like, these people are in for a lot of information, I'm just gonna I know what I have to do, I'm just gonna take it I mean, I think the Charmings and crew would have been boned if they actually got Excalibur (laughs) and realized that they didn't have the dagger, but of course, (laughs) knowing these characters, that was never going to happen (laughs) Yeah, although the the only thing is that, um,
1: uh like they 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 their whole goal of coming to Camelot was to find Merlin. I mean they or they they knew from the Apprentice that they they had to to find Merlin and Merlin was a key and the whole Merlin, Merlin, Merlin has been like the quest for the first like you know four or five episodes. And so I, just, I think that they would have trusted him more. Um but apparently not.
0: Well, yeah, and I think also, I mean, maybe Arthur in his his story with Nimue, maybe he's hesitant to trust people as well, despite how despite the the things he whispers to children. And I realize how wrong that is for me to say <laughs> out of context. But you know, I feel like maybe he learned from Nimue like not to out to trust people outright and to sort of have reservations about them maybe he maybe it's in Merck's inversely maybe he doesn't trust them maybe he thinks like they're gonna steal away with the dagger i know what i need to do with it let me take it for myself right. and not tell them about it
1: and we, and we kind of this is important i think for like the the last of the, the timelines that we'll be talking about but um in, in terms of like the whole flame of prometheus and the breaking of the sword like we do learn kind of in that flashback within a flashback that merlin uh tied and bound uh Nimue's spirit tethered i think was the word they used to, yeah, the, to the to the the dark one dagger um and, and you know again that was kind of you know for all intents and purposes for every you know situation down the road you can then use it to to summon the dark one i, th- I think that uh you know so you know, they're able to summon her there i think apparently through time and space um and we see later a different use for tethering, but again, don't want to get ahead of ourselves.
0: Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's, let's talk about this old one, new old dark one, new dark one sort of confrontation here. Reminds me a little bit of like when the, the oldest college alumnus uh, drops by your dorm room to be like, you know, I used to live here. Like this place sure has changed since I went to college.
1: Yeah. And she's got the whole women's Alliance thing going on. Like they always do. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the black dark one brigade. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, this you know when when emma kind of launched that merlin i was like uh oh this is it um uh, but I, I i don't know it was definitely shades of you know Rumpelstiltskin Stiltskin talking to her in her head in this case it's Nimway talking to her in her head and you got merlin fighting you know you could control this killing as the dark path there's a lot of almost like star wars dark side oh, yeah. force like parallels in this situation yeah With it, your Berlin's the Obi-Wan
0: definitely not a coincidence that it, it's a scene that involved choking exactly for choke uh yeah and I, I mean this is the when Emma like gut lets out this guttural you know I was not nothing I was never nothing like that is something I've never seen Emma do over the course of four and a half seasons of this show and it was so interesting to me because i think that was a nice rise of the darkness out of her but at the same time it was a statement that was breaking the trying to break the darkness away from her and her kind of resisting the the whispers in her ear by saying like I'm I'm I was still a good person I am still a good person you cannot tempt me into thinking that I that this pa- power is making me the best person in the world it, it was kind of a mixed message for me in terms of yeah
1: she's it, like what she's saying seems to be going against the darkness but then like the way she said it made me think she was just gonna like flip out and kill Merlin I didn't know yeah. what was going to happen I, mean, I, th- I <laughs> thought
0: she was being possessed right there I thought she was gonna vomit pea soup all over <laughs> Merlin <laughs> uh gosh but it's
1: it's but yeah she ends up resisting um and But I like that, you know, she takes the spark from Nimue that they, they need to reforge it. But, you know, it's, it's not, you know, literally she's not out of the woods yet. You know, Nimue says, you know what, you're going to put the sword together. Just remember that the power of the sword that you're about to make has more than one use. I mean, just, you're, you're not completely clear. There's going to be further opportunities for temptation um, and that, you know, she'll be there as that voice in her head for, I think, when those temptations face her again.
0: Yeah, and I also really like the end of this scene too, where Merlin sort of congratulates Emma on like you took the right path. How does it feel? And and Ms says like feels damn good, but you can tell like there's that malevolence in her eyes that like oh Nimue has not completely left her mind yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just like you know Nimue thought that she was doing something for good by going after the person that killed her you know do we does this i was gonna say does this lead to emma eventually you know killing arthur well we know that's not the case because arthur's alive in present day storybook um but you know is there's there's still you know nimway had the best of intentions uh emma still may have the best of intentions and may still turn to the dark side in fact we we know she does it's for some reason but we, that, that still remains to be seen why
0: yeah absolutely uh, any more stuff about Merlin and emma before we jump to what everyone else is up to this week <laughs> Um, no, I, I think there, I like that they're, they're, they're walking back and, and, you know, he's talking
1: about how, you know, you know, the, you know, the apprentice and I made sure that the sword was safe. I was like, yeah, am I putting it into a rock? I, I don't really know. uh yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay. Well the, the, well, the thing is, so we, we do know that in that past timeline, that Nimue, you know, Merlin can run Nimue, uh, and she turns him into a tree. So, and that Merlin was a tree up until recently. Um, I guess the question for me again is: At what point was Merlin not a tree? <laughs> in, yeah. in, in terms of modern day, especially because Lancelot recognized Merlin like the moment he like set eyes on him in the prison. So it led me to believe that that uh, there is some point where Merlin was not a tree, but. I just don't know how that fits into the timeline.
0: Yeah, because but even though Lancelot recognized Merlin, we know that Arthur never saw Merlin. He only communicated with him as a tree.
1: Well, so, that's I mean, that's still my question for Arthur: like, is there a point where, um, where, because we don't, we don't, we don't know how Merlin can communicate with Arthur in tree form because we don't know that in present day Camelot that he's still doing that. Uh like I again I wasn't even sure like is there a point when Arthur's not a kid where Merlin comes out of tree form, helps him establish everything in terms of uh you know, talks to Lancelot, talks to him in a human form, but then gets turned back into a tree again. I, I'm still not sure that necessarily that Arthur didn't see him as a person. <laughs> he calls but like it, a
0: say by the bell-esque like timeout and then appears like, Hey guys, I got like five minutes. Here's what I look like. <laughs> exactly.
1: exactly, because other than that, you've got Merlin like does everything based on the fact that a tree is talking to him and again people start to think he's crazy
0: <laughs> yeah exactly but which i mean, which he, I mean uh, safe to say he, he is a little crazy tree talking to him or not but that's, that's true uh so let's let's go to what everyone else is up to in <laughs> camelot which is uh clearly the the side mission which is go get arthur's sword it is bungled as much as you think it would with how uh how the way these characters are typically interacting this season <laughs>
1: Yeah, I
0: mean, and it starts
1: I mean, it starts even before uh, Merlin and Emma take off like they're in grannies, which I like as a kind of central base of operations. Yeah, um, but it's, you know, you know, Mer- like a like hook asks Merlin, well, if you can see the future, can you, you know, let us know what to expect when we storm the castle? And it's like, well, things are not always clear and the hook just
0: loses it. And I'm like, dude, chill. <laughs> he's trying yeah, to help he's, you. He's definitely Moody Hook. Uh, Moody hook. We, we see it. We see it from time to time. We saw it a lot in Storybrooke as well when he's, you know, right after Emma absorbs the Dark One's power and he's like going crazy, but we don't see it too much in Camelot. So yeah, it's weird, it's, especially since a couple episodes ago, he was all about like, I'm going to help you resist the, this darkness. And he should probably think that she's fine to have him get really angry about this is a, a little strange. And does it, is this where Regina tells him to shiver his timbers?
1: <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think that's when they're, um, I think that's when they're approaching Excalibur in the, uh, in the round table room. He's like, oh, and, 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 Hook thinks it might be cursed. He's like, so, you know, stop shivering your timbers. It's probably fine. He can't do magic.
0: Yeah. So that's a uh, boy. That's a, that's a little bit of a groaner. <laughs> yeah. Well, well there's, there's more groaners, but I'll get to
1: them when we get to them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, there's another one here actually. So, Zelina sort of interrupts the, the everyone try to comes up with different plans as to how to infiltrate Camelot and Zelina finally is able to speak and she basically says like you know when I was hanging out in Camelot I was trying to figure out a way to escape so I technically know a way to get in but in exchange, I want my magic back. Which they don't really take her up on that offer. Uh, but this is where Z- the, a little bit of a groaner here, where Zelina. I think Zelina calls David sarcastic.
1: Yeah, he's like, "So, what are we going to do hang slot or hang glide in? Are we going to get a, a giant slingshot?" And th- the the best part was the closed captioning on this because it said whatever sarcastic, and then parentheses it said sarcastic. Like the close cap, <laughs> like the closed captioning had to make sure that you got the joke.
0: <laughs> do you get it? It's a pun, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> i love that i wanted i wanted uh if that's the case i want like garrett morris from those old snl skits to pop up as like doing communication for the heart of hearing where he's like <laughs> sarcastic it's a pun on sarcastic yeah it, it, I, I got a little chuckle out of that so Zel- they the, the heroes for some reason decide all right yeah yeah we'll go we'll trust alita this time even though we are holding something above her and she clearly resents us for that so they lead her they lead them to a tunnel and basically says like, okay, just go through the tunnel and it will lead you to the underbelly of Camelot. Though uh, Snow is given the job of guarding Zelina. And man, I feel like season one Snow would have like done this no problem. I feel like maybe the pregnancy has has <laughs> softened her up a bit because she is totally manipulated here.
1: Well, the, 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 other, the other question I had is like, not, okay, not only yes, they're falling for it, but on the flip side, wouldn't Zelina like Zelina wouldn't have led them to the gate without getting her magic back first. I mean, like, I think that's, that's, that's the one point of leverage she had on this, the knowledge of the secret way into the castle. So why would she still lead them there? Unless. They, yeah, I'll lead you there. And then when we get there, you can give me my magic back. She'd be like, no, you give me my magic back now and then I'll get you there. So I think they, I don't know they would have been a stalemate, but I was very surprised that Zelina didn't ask for her magic back first.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, we obviously find out at the end of this episode that her and Arthur were kind of in cahoots because he decided to remove her bracelet. But I'm wondering when that happened. Did it happen while she was still there
1: or was... (laughs) That was the second issue I had with this episode was the whole... uh, Because they all went into the castle uh, well before Zelina was free. But they get to Arthur in the throne room. And by that point, Zelina's already connected with Arthur, who's already removed her her little, you know, magic blockers. And so the whole timing of when Zelina and Arthur were able to connect through me in terms of the storming of the castle.
0: Yeah, I'm very confused as well. I mean, if it's something that they planned before everything happened, I I, I, know that wouldn't make sense yet because Arthur did not predict that, like, things would splinter off. And and she couldn't talk. (laughs) Yeah, and like (laughs) – but if that was the case and that would make sense as to why she led them to the gates, because she would be leading them directly into the trap. It just, it doesn't make sense
1: at all. Right. I mean, and there, plus she had no guarantee that she was going to be able to get free. I mean, you know, worst case scenario is that, uh, you know, she's not able to turn the tables on them, but they do get the sword come out and they release her and give her her magic back. Um, so it's, I, I I, that was the thing that confused me was like the 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 to your point a when were they able to plan this and b how was she able to actually pull it off in terms of because she didn't have magic where she could teleport in and get to Arthur because she to remove the to remove the blockers so that she could use magic I don't know the 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 timing of it was just really really odd
0: yeah though I mean if Excalibur had been turned into the magical picking shears that you applied earlier I feel like it actually would that would have been probably the best job of being able to remove Zelina's uh, yeah. <laughs> embrace it without removing her hand, though she's shown before that she can still do that and be fine. Yeah. It,
1: it, it, it seemed like Arthur was probably able to just, you know,
0: untie them. <laughs> call, the, call the locksmith. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, we see a little bit of Arthur here. We, we, we haven't really seen uh, we haven't seen Arthur plotting a bit in a couple of episodes, but he shows off his newest concoction, which is a sort of T-1000 slash Alex Mack type of thing that basically liquefies anything it touches into the sort of this like metallic goo. Except for the cauldron or the ladle. Yeah, that's uh, that's got I love that they've they jumped right over that plot hole by being like, nope, because it's magic. Yeah, well, which which I I buy, but he they leave without taking the ladle, and it's
1: like so if you're supposed to throw this or dump this on Team Charming, you basically got two guys holding this large cauldron, but no way to scoop it out and throw it at people because whatever you put in there to throw it is going to melt. So I don't know yeah. what they're going, how they're actually going to use this corrosive liquid.
0: Well, they were going <laughs> to do. Um... They would do they'd pull a home alone and they'd either do, like uh, tie it to a string and swing it down the stairs or they'd uh, they'd pour it down the stairs and so their feet get stuck yeah. or their feet would I guess disintegrate and then they'd all die and
1: hopefully it doesn't eat at the stairs I mean, I got the impression that it would kind of you know it, that maybe stone and wood might survive but like human <laughs> flesh and bone and any other metal was kind of at uh, you know at <laughs> risk here but yeah. uh, I was like literally you have nothing that you can use to actually you know scoop this out because like I was actually, I actually rewound and watched this part. He takes the ladle, and he—you could hear him set it on the table as they're walking out with the cauldron. And you see, he just kind of actually put them in a really difficult position.
0: Yeah, I I maybe actually maybe he is sort of the Kevin McAllister in terms of just being this really mischievous kid. Yeah, <laughs> come at me, thou horse's ass. <sighs> Uh, so uh, the, the so the heroes sneak in and they they spy the serum again being carried probably to these these poor guys doom as they're they're just sort of carrying it waiting to do god knows what with it and Regina helpfully points out hey Zelina hasn't screwed us yet yeah. <laughs> it's not like that's gonna happen anytime soon <laughs> Chekhov's statement <laughs> yes exactly or we call or as we call it foreshadow <laughs> exactly <laughs> Known as Chekhov's statement so meanwhile Zelina is weeping to Snow White and again. <laughs> Snow White is has gone soft. Uh, she totally is buying into like Regina's totally fake crying and jealousy towards her sister. And she gets she cries out in pain, which gets Snow's attention. And she like does like a donkey kick, like <laughs> like knocks Snow out r- hardcore. And you and she's uh, she finishes the scene off with a nice no rest for the wicked. It, it, it's strange though because like she starts
1: out the scene. Mary Margaret starts out the scene. Kind of how you want her to be starting out the scene in terms of Zelina's kind of sulking and Mary Margaret's like, yeah, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Like she, you think Mary Margaret's not buying it, but on a dime, she like flips and suddenly gets like, maybe it was the fact that this woman's pregnant and she seems to be in pain. But, uh, and, and I'm saying this about the character of Zelina and not the actress. Zelina, not a good actress. In in terms yeah. of like you know trying to pull it, I was like, oh, Snow White isn't buying it. Mary Margaret's not buying it. But then suddenly she starts buying it. And I'm like, what are you doing?
0: But it's, she, and it's it's weird because you would think a woman who impersonated somebody else's identity for I forget how long would be a better actress than what she just pulled off. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe she maybe maybe you get kind of like bonus points for actually looking like the person you're trying to to impersonate. Maybe
0: um, maybe maybe is more of a character actress and she can't play like realistic grounded things. She more has to be like that one. Girl that you see in a bunch of things, but is sort of playing over the top characters.
1: I do think you nailed it, what you said a, a few minutes ago, in terms of, you know, Snow White from seasons one and two would never have fallen for this, or at least would no. She may have fallen for it, but she would have, like, not succumbed to the, you know, the boot to the head. And, uh, yeah, and would have, there, there would have been a longer fight scene here.
0: Yeah, it kind of sucks because I I think this this season in particular has done a great job of really building upon the characters that have been previously established, but I feel like it's been at the expense of like, I can understand that for plot purposes, there are some characters that need to make mistakes, but to have them come at the expense of these other main characters that we built up for so long, like by far out of this main group of heroes, not excluding Emma, Regina is by far the smartest one. Everyone else this season seems to have been just making the dumbest decisions. Exactly. So let's kind of segue here into the last few scenes that sort of tie back to the Emma and Merlin stuff. So the heroes bust into the the round table and they freeze him. But then suddenly Zelina gets... We get the reveal here that Zelina somehow at some point came in with a tied-up Snow White. And she reveals that her and Arthur are, are in cahoots. Yeah. And Regina's about to throw down and We get yet another mention of the baby and sort of that quells everything. But, um, but even the part where
1: you know, this is the part we were talking about earlier where, you know, Regina is approaching Excalibur. Like she freezes Arthur and makes his weapon that's in his hand disappear. And she's about to go to Excalibur, which is lying on the table. And Hook says, you know, careful. It could be, you know, may have protections. And Regina's like, yeah, he doesn't know magic. And you do see Arthur grin there despite being frozen. Uh, yeah. and I'm like, okay, something is going to happen here. And sure enough, uh, uh, you know maybe Zelina knew two routes in and she kind of gave the longer route the, 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 <laughs> she, gave, she gave the scenic route the scenic yeah. escape route to uh to team charming but she knew the express escape route and she kind of took that one
0: <laughs> yeah i guess that one makes sense uh but basically Zelina has another purpose here she sees that arthur has found uh a tethering spell which i guess doesn't require any sort of ingredients this is more of a thing that re- that Zelina can just kind of do by looking in the book uh yeah. which she does and she's able to tether the other quote-unquote half of Excalibur <laughs> to Merlin and now Arthur is going to use it to call into Merlin and so I I think we are totally out the window here with like Machiavellian scheming Arthur and now we're at like petulant child Arthur because there's there is no amount of like subtlety to what he's doing this episode yeah
1: although I it was Lena said that the whole thing was Arthur's idea um and, you know, and Arthur does have access to Merlin's tower. So they probably had access to plenty of Merlin's personal belongings if that was needed. But the fact that this whole thing was Arthur's idea that he found the spell that he came up with this idea. Uh, I, you know, again, we go back to Arthur. It's, it's kind of a Tony Vlachos of of Camelot uh, that he that, you know, 50 percent of the things he does go remarkably well and are remarkably thought out. And then the other half of them are just like, why are you doing this?
0: yeah absolutely though i have to say something that really made me like laugh out loud this episode was when charming in one of his only few lines this episode urges arthur you know you gotta think about what you're doing and arthur says you know thank you david but merlin <laughs> <laughs> i love that he's just like screaming merlin's name into the sword to get him to appear <laughs> uh, oh yeah and
1: then poor, uh, but, poor emma's left alone in the woods all of a sudden you hear yeah, the, and, you hear the little shoosh, and she's uh, the,
0: yeah The magical whoosh, Uh, and that's what yeah. So so Merlin is whisked away. It reminds me a lot of like when uh, Jafar makes the wish at near like the the sort of the climax of Aladdin, where he wishes for the genie to be his, and he's like reluctantly forced to be by Arthur's side. Though it's interesting because Merlin's sort of trying to is Merlin trying to sway Arthur here when he tells him that Emma has passed the test and he Arthur can finally finish his quest and give him the sword so they can vanquish evil. I think so. I mean, he he kind of drops the hint that, you know, you know Arthur kind of had this
1: impression that he was meant for greater things. And Merlin's trying to guide him down this road of, you are. I mean, just because it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. You still have this destiny to play. Um, and, you know, for all we know, he's being truthful. Um, but, yeah, Merlin isn't – or Arthur isn't having any of it. In fact, he has to command Merlin – uh, twice I think to stop talking
0: <laughs> yeah which is weird I don't know I don't think that's the way it's supposed to work but I guess Merlin is a very all powerful being so maybe he has a, a bit of magical resistance to him or Arthur didn't say please like you know what happened with the guy <laughs> with the grail or, or the fact that I think maybe like like
1: stop talking but then like if he asks Merlin a question the, the, the implication is that he wants him to talk and so uh, it kind of turned off the the silence spell on Merlin and then he, so he had to reinstate
0: it and say stop talking again yeah and we, and we get a little bit of more insight from Arthur here in terms of like we really break down his sort of um uh, his sort of motive here where he talks about you know I want basically a I a, I want all the glory and B I feel embarrassed because I am a quote a half man with a half sword who answered riddles from a tree.
1: Yeah. Again yeah bleeding letting us to believe that Merlin was only always a tree to Arthur and um but I, I think you know Arthur probably not well versed in uh wish phrasing or command phrasing he's he's he hasn't had control of merlin or been in this position at all i th- i think merlin uh until arthur kind of gets a grasp on how to phrase things merlin has quite a bit of leeway in how he handles things like he initially yeah. commands merlin to make it so the others can't harm him so he removes their weapons he doesn't like turn them into stone which you know somebody might mm-hmm. have done and then when he says you know make them leave he he sends them away but we don't know to where
0: yeah, exactly. He could send him back the to the other room. <laughs> to, you could send him into like the armory, <laughs> uh, or, or like next to all the spell books. For all we know, <laughs> yeah. And Arthur needs to learn his genie logic here because it's it's very much like okay. you need to outline. I mean, that's the dark one, and granted, Merlin's not the dark one, but I guess they're using a very similar type of magic to tether to the instruments but like when talking with the dark one you need to outline exactly what you want yeah. because the dark one's going to take advantage of some yeah. sort of loophole in what you just said and i could totally see merlin using that for good
1: yeah and i mean because it, this is interesting because this is the first time we know that the dagger controls the dark one uh this is just a simple tethering spell it's, it's more of a, a commanding uh, spell and I I do like your idea of he sent them away to the middle of an armory with lots of weapons and a big gold box that says Arthur's weakness on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's again. Well, you didn't say don't put them there. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Anything else you want to say about Camelot in general before we jump into the bookend scenes of this episode and finish things off? Let's bookend it. All right, so let's bookend it with the bookends. Uh, So, the first scene of the episode, which is kind of weird to talk about, you know, an hour, 15 minutes in, but Dark Swan, as we talked about last week, has both the dagger and Excalibur. in her hands and we we finally see the return after a while of dark clippy here and he says he basically says you know the two halves represent history and it's time for excalibur's promise to be fulfilled and we really i think that really sets up like the history that we are going to learn over the course of this episode but the meat of this really comes in the last scene of the episode yeah and
1: it's (sighs) At that at that point I was like, well, what is Excalibur's promise? And then, we eventually find that you know Excalibur was forged to make someone who was no who was immortal no longer a mortal. Mm-hmm. And, and like if that's literally what Excalibur's you know promise was, is that where we're heading? Like is is Emma fr- reforging Excalibur to make an immortal mortal? and is that herself is she doing this whole thing to make herself no longer the dark one is that the whole plot and i i just don't know where this is going
0: (laughs) yeah i think for the uh for excalibur for me it's like i agree that it started out as this sort of thing to vanquish or to cut ties with magic but then it's sort of now become this sort of junction point that they brought up several times of like emma if emma takes the sword or the person who takes excalibur can either use it to extinguish all evil or snuff out the light, as Dark yeah. Clippy alludes to earlier. So uh, it's sort of, I think it's it sort of uh, it ties into a little bit of what Emma experienced in season four B, when they talked all the time about like Emma will have to face a choice where she either has to go on the side of good or the side of evil. And I feel like it's a very similar junction point where Emma's going to grab the sword at the end of this episode, and she's going to have to choose whether she uses it for good or evil, and the side that is not extinguished will obviously rule the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the interesting thing about the dark one is the dark one has never really just made simple demands of those around them. Uh, like, like we, did, Emma has not said, you know what, I want this, and the rest of the town could like look at that request and be like, you know what, that's that's reasonable. We could kind of live with that. Sure, we'll give you that. And, and, and then everybody lives happily ever after. Um, no, there's something big that she wants, that she wants to get in her own way. And I, we're, we're going to be seeing that uh, play out in the next couple episodes.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to see. I mean, I think next episode is going to, be to allude to like, Emma will finally reveal to somebody what happened that caused her to, to have that curse. Because, I mean, maybe, and maybe this is sort of like an extrapolating thing. I mean, curses are triggered by somebody taking a life, Correct.
1: Oh boy, you're asking me to remember every single. Cur- I, I think <laughs> um, I think
0: I think it's I think that's what it is. So if that's the case, maybe Emma became fully became Dark Swan and caused the curse at the same time by killing somebody.
1: Um, maybe I just don't know. Um, but we we do know that you know that's at least how you become a dark one, if not how you do a curse. Maybe uh, I'm sure there's a death at some point, and but it seems like everybody. Is in Storybrooke, uh, you know, unless it does end up being Merlin, maybe the voicemail was recorded. Like, Merlin does live through space and time. He could have recorded that voicemail ages ago and just knew to do it before he was killed. Um, know, maybe – Maybe Lily and Maleficent are killed. We still don't know where they are.
0: That's true. They, <laughs> so they could have appeared for all they know, and they're just sort of wandering around in the woods having no idea what's going on. Maybe they got captured by the clansmen from Brave.
1: There's no, uh, not even webisodes addressing the whole <laughs> Lily looking for her father thing. Sorry. That was something I was looking forward to this season.
0: Yeah, we're, 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 past, the, we're past the days of webisodes, Craig. Those are so early 2000s. Unless you're Fear the Walking Dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, they're always behind the times, though, right? They take place like in the past true, as those, well. those are flashbacks. Uh, so... So Emma is able. So as Emma, you know, contemplates what to do, we see the spirit of Nimue come back, and she sort of vocalizes what I was just talking about in terms of. She said, "You know, I was against you uh, merging the two before because I thought you were going to use it for good, but now it seems like you are going to be using it for evil." And now all the other dark ones appear behind her. There's a Uh, lot of there's a lot of them. Yeah, (laughs) and what appears to be a combination between a Dementor. And a Jawa from Star Wars. <laughs> they were
1: very Jawa-like, that is true. It looked
0: very Jawa-like. Yeah. I, fe- I felt like if there was any, I felt like they were going to take Excalibur if Emma didn't hold on to it and <laughs> use it for scrap metal.
1: <laughs> R2 Excalibur?
0: Yes, R- R2 or or Excalibur turns into like a talking C-3PO. Yeah. Um. But Emma decides, she ignites the flame and she successfully fuses the sword and dagger together and there is a split second where she has this sort of realization or she remembers when merlin talked to her as a kid and said you know you have the choice to take it don't and after a second of thinking about it she firmly grasps grasps it in her hand and finally after seven episodes the sword of the stone was pulled out it was fully merged and now we have this all-powerful weapon that emma is currently wielding
1: yeah it's like she she kind of recollects you know merlin told me not to do this when i was a girl and in then way i was like well, you know what now you're a woman take the power <laughs>
0: like, they, they, yeah you're, you're past the britney spears point you are a woman <laughs> yeah the uh the uh all-female alliance holds strong in this one yeah but and she has a mom too so she's in like uh missy territory too <laughs> yep uh she, she, she's she's uh yeah, telling them way to
1: get in the back because she's gonna drive now
0: yeah i mean that's that's actually very true so let's look a little forward here kurt let's look a little down the road i mean so emma is wielding this weapon yes uh the heroes have unsuccessfully stopped her at doing that but from what we saw from the heroes last time merlin was telling them to go find Nimway. what do you think is the significance of that well we do see that you know the
1: darkness can be purged from people we saw that the fact you know the the, the darkness is like this one entity that can inhabit one person at a time so i mean technically yeah you can use the you can use magic for evil as long as some, but it can, that can eventually be purged from you, which could, which bodes well for Emma. Um, but you know, we saw, you know, the darkness was purged from Stiltskin, and he's now on the path to becoming a hero. He's kind of pledged that, uh, he's going to take down Emma. Um, so, you know, because he's kind of had that turnaround, I think, you know, Nimue is somewhere out there. We don't know how she, how the darkness ended up leaving her. Um, and, what state she's currently in. So I think there's, th- there's kind of a, <coughs> excuse me, a Nimue backstory post her becoming the dark one that we still mm-hmm. need to learn. So, um, and, you know, and it's, it's, I think we're almost led to believe she's got to be in Storybrook somewhere. Uh, yeah because I, I can't see them leaving Storybrook again to find somebody. <laughs>
0: No, we only we only have uh even though we they cram a lot in each episode, we only have four episodes left. Uh but yeah, I could totally imagine like but it's interesting though, if, if we're gonna encounter a pre-Dark One Nimue, well you know, like we found Mr. Gold was really fearful like he was before he took the Dark One's power. But does that mean Nimwai's could be just really angry like she was before uh she eventually killed Vortigan?
1: Uh well we we also saw that that um that gold kind of reverted back to himself right before his, his, his kind of his pre dark oneself was a little bit cowardly, but he was able to grow out of that with the help of, uh, Merida. Um, but, uh, so that if if Nimue reverts to her pre-dark one self, which you know she's not a coward like like Gold was, like Crumple Stiltskin was. So uh, you know, if especially if she still does have feelings for Merlin, as as Emma seemed to uh, kind of say uh, back in Camelot, I think that you know this is something you know as long as they approach her and she understands that uh, you know this is going to ultimately help Merlin and defeat
0: the dark one. I think I think she'd be all in. It'd be really awkward if Emma does end up killing Merlin to, to cast the curse and then she runs into Nimue. <laughs> yeah, that would be
1: you, you, I think it would be still a kind of a uh, an uneven battle in terms of the dark one versus a mortal Nimue. But uh, maybe something would balance the playing field.
0: So if you guys have any ideas as to what Nimue's significance may be in the coming episodes, or if you uh, can fill in the blanks a little bit in terms of how Zelina and Arthur commiserated together, or if you happen to find a complete, uh, historia of, the Dark One mythology. You have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. You can always leave comments here on the Post Show Recaps page. While you're here, if you haven't, please subscribe to our Once Upon a Time Only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And as always, you can reach out to us through social media. Kurt, how can people find you via Twitter? Uh, Just look me up at Kurt Clark with two Cs. And I am at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter. And please make sure you're subscribed to everything going on on Post Show Recaps. Kurt, I hear uh, you appeared on another Post Show Recap show in the past week yeah i cheated on you mike bloom i'm sorry uh yeah i was on most shows
1: recapped and myself and rob and josh and antonio we talked about uh, ash versus evil dead uh on stars channel uh with the, the pilot had aired uh earlier that week and you know had, had a good time talking about it
0: Well, Kurt, I'm going to make things a lot better. I cheated on you as well. Uh, uh, This coming week, we actually just recorded it last night, but I ended up sitting down with Antonio Mazzara to talk about the recently released Netflix show, Master of None, which is the uh, Aziz Ansari new comedy. Uh, Really, really, really enjoyed it. and. uh, Antonio and I had a really good talk about it. Definitely recommend it. Definitely recommend watching all the episodes because we dive really deep into all 10 of them, but they're only half an hour. So it's like watching five hours of Once Upon a Time, uh, but without the head-scratching canon behind it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so to finish things off, Kurt, Clark, can we come up with a hashtag for people who have made it all the way to the end of this podcast? about oh, Magic Pinking Shears? I think Magic Pinking Shears is great. So just so you guys know, quick programming note. Obviously, next week is a two-part episode or two-hour episode. I think there are actually two episodes, two differently titled ones. But what we're going to do is, uh, because the show is taking off for Thanksgiving, we want to provide you guys with a little bit of content in between. So what we're going to do is something very similar to what we did last year around this time. Uh, We're going to record the two different episodes in two different parts. And we're going to release the second one a week later when the episode would typically air. Uh, but it's not because of Thanksgiving, but we will be recording them both at once. so we'll We'll, we will have, we'll have seen both hours at once, but we're going to separate them out just to give you guys a little bit of extra content to pad out your holiday weekend.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, we, we don't want, you're going to be doing a lot of binge eating on uh, Thanksgiving. You don't need to binge podcasts as well. So let's, let's, we'll space that out for you and, and do, do your ears a favor while you're stuffing your stomach
0: yeah exactly we're all about moderation here on the uh, once upon a recap which is why we always go well over the amount of time the actual episode takes yes (laughs) so hashtag magic pinking if you made it this far we will talk to you next week to cover the first hour of the two hour extravaganza from this season of once upon a time we will talk to you then thank you as always for listening and remember when you are exploring the tunnels of Camelot just uh, take the scenic route I hear it's got a great view take care everyone bye bye